0: Because you're growing up. You're growing up. Well, if y'all act right, you get to go. (laughs) It wasn't the the little ones that was giving them trouble. It was the older ones. Well, it was, wasn't it? Huh? Huh? Don't want to argue with the preacher. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 12, the Word of God says... And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace with everyone, with, among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. Psst. <laughs> warn those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for both yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, the, the divine declarations of God's word. Test all things, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Let us pray. Father God, so many wonderful lessons to be learned in that little passage, but they all point to one thing, and that is that in everything we are to be thankful, for that is your will in Christ Jesus for us. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. One particular verse of interest in that passage, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now I've grown to be quite the Facebook fan, and as I read through countless Facebook entries on Thanksgiving Day, I did not read a single Thanksgiving post where somebody was thanking God for something awful. Not one single post thanked God for something that was devastating in their lives. Not one single post was being thankful for something that was otherwise bad. Chris was thankful for finally being over the flu. Billy was thankful for discounts at Walmart. Tessa was thankful for the Macy's Day Parade. Leanne was thankful for Thanksgiving Day Breakfast. Dana was thankful for her amazing husband. Michael was thankful for his dad and stepmom. Trish was thankful that her grandma and mother-in-law were healed of serious health issues. April was thankful for her family being home for the holidays. Martina was thankful that she got to sit down at a Thanksgiving meal with both her parents, even though they happened to be in different homes. Bridget was thankful for the ability to get up that morning, a car to get her where she needed to go, a food for her family, a home to live in, and soldiers that would preserve her freedom to worship God openly at church. We always find it real easy to thank God when everything is going good. However, it's not so easy to thank God when everything appears to be going wrong. Friends, it's during these adverse times that it's hard to be thankful. Yet, the Bible clearly teaches that we are to be thankful even in the bad times we encounter in our lives. But what could possibly be a good reason to thank God for bad times? I believe that I found some for you. The first of which is the fact that God may be using adversity to get your attention. In Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus, later known as the Apostle Paul, was a proud and egotistical man. His whole purpose in life at that time was to rid the whole world of Christians. God had to get Saul's attention. And to do so, God struck him blind with a bright light and while he was lying on that Damascus road Saul looked up and asked him who are you Lord and Lord what would you have me to do you see Jesus got Paul's attention friend is God the number one priority in your life is he truly first if not can I tell you that he may bring you down so that you'll begin looking up. When we read through the Old Testament scriptures, we rarely think of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon as a man who ever sought after God. But listen to how God got this king's attention. In Daniel chapter 4, beginning in verse 30, the king spoke, King Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was still on the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar To you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour that word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar, he was driven from men, ate grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. And verse 34, And at the end of this time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me and I blessed the Most High. And praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Friends, I believe that we can safely assume that every time that we're going through a major trial, God is trying to get our attention in some fashion. Every time. I believe that God is trying to get our attention in some fashion. It seems that adversity and suffering go together and they are tools that God frequently uses to get our attention and also accomplish his purposes in our life. When we go through those trials, we are forced then to stop trusting in our own feeble resources and look to God for deliverance. It's when we go through those trials, friends, that we begin to turn to God. We begin to cry out to God. Why? Because we don't see any light at the end of our tunnel. And we know that He controls the light. Psalm 121, the Word of God says, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains, From where does my help come? And the psalmist said, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Let me ask you this. Could God be using your adversity to get your attention? It's possible. But God also may be using our adversity to draw us nearer to him. Have you ever heard of a Burkutchi? If you have heard of a Burkutchi, raise your hand. Well, good, because neither had I. A Burkutchi is an Asian man, an Asian man who captures, tames, and trains eagles for hunting. Now, most eagles have a lifespan of about 40 years. And so they're caught when they're young. They're caught by either snatching them out of the nest or by a baited net. Now, once they're captured, immediately the eagle is hooded, blindfolded, if you will, and placed in a cage where the perch is constantly swaying. With that perch constantly swaying, the eagle can't sleep, the eagle can't even rest. And at the same time, for two or three days or so, the eagle is being held back from eating, being deprived of food. But during this time, the burkuche talks to the eagle, sings to the eagle, even chants to the eagle for hours on end. Then the training begins. This weakened creature then is ready to rely on his master. And while doing that, the Bercutchi begins to feed the eagle, begins to stroke the eagle. And when that weakened creature is finally ready to rely on its master, then the Bercutchi says, He's ready to begin his training. He's ready. The relationship is strong enough. He's ready to begin his training. But can I tell you, not all eagles can be trained. Only those eagles that are willing to take on a life with a master are able to be trained. And when you look at that training and that breaking process, it seems so harsh. But you know, that's a great picture of how over time God breaks our independent spirit and begins to train us up and draw us into a close relationship with himself. God wants us to walk with him in a profoundly intimate way. But so often we neglect that relationship. We don't spend time with him like, He so richly deserves. We neglect that relationship, especially when things are going good. We neglect that relationship, especially when we think we're in full control. Therefore, I believe that he may permit the storms of life to rattle our world a little bit. To rattle our world so that we might run for shelter in the cleft of the rock. The cleft of the rock of ages. Someone has appropriately said this. In the day of prosperity, we have many places to run for safety. But in the day of adversity, we have only one. Peter learned this in 1 Peter chapter 5. He said, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you up in due time, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. He cares for you. Our God, He is an ever-present help in times of adversity. When you're going through that adversity, He is an ever-present help in times of those difficult times. He is a refuge, and He seeks that you might draw close to Him. He seeks that you might cast your cares upon Him. Robert wrote in his diary this one day, He said, I know that the Lord will make a way for me. This year, 2011, has been my worst year ever. But even though it was my worst year, I grew closer to the Lord. Yes, my life is a mess right now, I have an incurable disease. My financial situation is terrible and I've just learned that I may be laid off from work. But through all this, I'm rejoicing because I know. Say no. Because I know. I know when. Say when. I know when I get through this. I know When I get through this, my character will be changed and I will learn to endure because I know that the Lord is with me. Therefore, through all this, I will not give up and I will not let the devil win. When I get through this. David wrote in Psalm 18.6, In my distress, in my adversity, I will call upon the Lord, I will cry out to my God, and He hears my voice. Your God waits to hear your voice. He waits for you to draw nearer to Him in the midst of adversity, waiting to hear your voice. Could God be using your adversity to draw you nearer to himself? He does that, you know. And not only does God use adversity to get our attention and to draw us nearer to him, but God may be using adversity to strengthen us. You see, God does not allow us to endure bad times in order to destroy us. He allows us to endure bad times so that he can discipline us. And discipline is not a bad thing. When you look at the base word of discipline, the word that you find there is disciple. Disciple. God wants to strengthen you. He wants to use your adversity to strengthen you. As a disciple, as his disciple, he desires to make you razor sharp that he might be able to use you to be a blessing for someone else. Have you ever heard someone misquote the Bible this way? God will never put more on me than I can bear. If you've heard that, raise your hand. Do you know that that's a misquote? Because God does not say that he will not put more on you than you can bear. In fact, he may indeed put more on you than you alone can bear. The promise of God is, is that he will never put more on you than you and him together can bear. He will strengthen you. 1 Corinthians 10 reminds us that no trial has overtaken you that it's not been faced by others. For God is faithful. He's faithful and he will not let you be tried beyond what you are able to bear. But with the trial, he will provide a way so that you're able to endure it. It's you and God. It's you and God in the midst of this adversity. It's you and God in the midst of your trial. You're not alone. And in your weakness, God says you will be made strong. He desires to strengthen you. And He uses those struggles. He uses our adversity to strengthen us. Here again from, Pe- from Peter, who knew struggles all too well. He said, Now the grace, God of all grace, who calls you to His eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will personally restore. Establish, strengthen, say strengthen, strengthen and support you after you have suffered a while. God uses our suffering and our adversity to strengthen us. Our strength, friends, only increases in proportion to the burden that's placed on it. Now, some of you may be saying, well, Brother Bill, I must be awful strong, man. I got more than my share of burden. But Colossians teaches us that God strengthens us with his own power so that we'll be patient and that we won't give up when troubles come. The bottom line is this, friends, and if you don't hear anything else that I say today, hear this. When adversity strikes, God is ready to strengthen. When adversity strikes, God is ready to strengthen. Say that with me. When adversity strikes, God is ready to strengthen. He stands ready to strengthen you when adversity strikes. Could God be using your adversity to strengthen you? He does that. He uses our adversity to get our attention and draw us nearer to him and yes, even to strengthen us. But God also may be using adversity to refine us. Proverbs 25, 4, Solomon says, take away the dross. That is, take away the junk. Take away the impurities from the silver and there shall come forth a vessel for the finer. God said to Isaiah, I will turn my hand against you that means adversity is coming, right? When God says, I'm turning my hand against you, trouble's coming, amen? I will turn my hand against you and I will burn away the dross completely so that I will remove all your impurities. God wants us to realize that there are consequences for bad decisions, that there are consequences for bad actions. And he often uses adversity to show us what's in our hearts, but also to cleanse and purify what we find there. Sometimes we don't even realize what's there. That that that, that is, that's in our hearts, needs purifying, needs cleansing. Listen to one translation of Psalm 119, verse 71. The psalmist said, The discipline you gave me, O Lord, was the best thing that ever happened to me. Anybody here ever said that? Anybody ever said that to God? Oh, God, thank you. Thank you for that discipline. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. You may not say it today, but I'll bet you'll look back in the years ahead and you'll say it. Because I've said it myself. When God brought me down to my knees, when God brought me down to the bottom of the pit, I wasn't happy about being there. But now I look back years later, and I declare, Lord, you bring me down to the bottom of that barrel was the best thing that ever happened to me. He used my adversity to refine me. Wow. We look at a diamond, and we say, oh, how beautiful. But do you know that diamond is really nothing more than a lump of coal? Now there is a little difference in between a diamond and a lump of coal. A diamond has gone through this long, hard, hot season of intense pressure. In fact, some scientists say that it takes a thousand years or more to form a diamond. But during that time, during that thousand years, it's going through intense heat intense pressure, intense difficulty, if you will. You know, Job knew a little bit about intense seasons of overwhelming pressure. Listen to what he said. He said, God, you know where I've been and you know where I'm headed. But you also know that when you have tested me, I shall come forth like gold. When we go through the fires, when we go through the heat, when we go through the adversity, we often come out refined and come forth like gold. Think about a precious gem. When a a precious gem is mined, it is a rough looking rock. Ladies, it's, uh, it's not something you would want to wear on your finger. But what do they do to it? They sandblast it. They use sandpaper on it to rough off those edges. They use a lot of friction, a lot of heat to polish that gem. It's the same thing with a man. Same thing with a woman. We're not made pure unless adversity sometimes comes. Could God be using your adversity to somehow refine you? Finally, God may be using your adversity to make you a blessing. Friends, you and I must come to the conclusion that our lives in God's hands is not all about my comfort. God's ultimate goal is not about me making me comfortable. His his ultimate goal is not about my pleasure. It's not about my satisfaction. It's not about my amusement. God's ultimate purpose for my life is lost souls that are in damage, in danger of damnation. That's the ultimate purpose. He wants to, to reach out through me. And draw someone to himself. He wants to do the same thing with you. And he may be using adversity to do it. The Apostle Paul truly understood this. Listen to what he said when he was writing to the Christians at Philippi. He said, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me, that is, all the beatings, all the imprisonments, all the suffering, all the stonings. Listen to what he said everything that has happened to me has helped me to spread the good news. Everything that Paul went through was to rescue lost souls. Every adversity, he said, that he went through helped him to spread the good news. Friends, we never know. We never know what avenue God may use to make us a blessing for others. It may be ordained by God to be a blessing to others through your affliction. We don't know. It may be ordained by God to make you a blessing through your health and prosperity. We don't know. Do you remember the adversity that Joseph went through in the book of Genesis as his brothers sold him into slavery? Can you imagine your sibling selling you into slavery? It wasn't until years, years later, that Joseph finally realized and understood the reason for his adversity. And he told his brothers in Genesis chapter 50, he said, as for you, bros, as for you, you all meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to save the lives of many people. So why did Joseph go through all that adversity? To save the lives of many people. And God meant it for good. Someone has accurately said that the only true way to find healing from a painful experience is to use your pain to bless somebody else. Now, that's tough. The only way to get over it is to use it. The only way to get over your pain is to use your pain to bless somebody else. Could God be using your adversity to bless other people? I read about Marie Napier back in 1954 who was a young missionary to Alaska. And Marie was stricken with a disease that left her paralyzed for the last 10 years of her life. Her pastor, Bryce Morton, told the story. He said, as I stepped into the front room, I immediately heard the sickening pulsation of her breathing machine. It was what was called a rocking bed. And it literally was that. The bed, patient and all, rocked back and forth. As I looked on Marie, she was very thin, very pale, and she hadn't moved in over five years on her own. I awkwardly tried to not stare at her shriveled up body. I just looked at my feet and tried to hide the shock on my face. But I finally raised my eyes, and I looked upon her face, and I saw this broad and understanding smile. Over time, I grew comfortable, and we began to talk, but even simple conversations were very difficult for Marie. When I left there that day, though, I had some pep in my step. I had come to give, but I left having received. Now the last time that I saw Marie before her death was in the hospital in San Jose. The doctors had placed her in what was called a breathing shell. A breathing shell. And that breathing shell forced her to breathe. I stepped to her side and I looked down into her tired eyes and a faint smile broke out on her face and she literally gasped and said, I'm so thankful for my shell. Pastor Morton went on to say, at a time when many people would have cursed God, for that paralysis, curse God for the pain, curse God for the heartaches associated with all that suffering. Marie Napier still speaks from the grave in a sermon of one sentence. I am so thankful for my shell. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Could God be using your adversity? Using your adversity to get your attention? Perhaps using your adversity to draw you nearer to Himself? Could He be using your adversity to strengthen you? Perhaps to to make you more refined? Could He be using your adversity to make you a blessing for somebody else? Friends, chances are real good that even if your adversity is not of your own making, even if your adversity is somebody else's fault, it will bring about one of these reasons to be thankful. Maybe your adversity is intended to encourage you to come to Jesus by faith so that you might receive the greatest blessing of all, an eternal life with our Heavenly Father. How we respond to the adversity determines its length. If you don't respond to the Lord's offer of salvation through faith in Jesus, I can't tell you how long your adversity is going to be. Just as eternal life with God in heaven is eternal, so will the adversity for those who reject Jesus be eternal. What will your decision be? Father in heaven, dare we say that we are thankful for adversity? Dare we say that we're thankful for suffering, thankful for trials, thankful for challenges, thankful for difficult times, thankful for devastation, thankful for broken hearts, Lord, thankful for bad things? Lord, when your hand's in them, something's good coming. when your hand is permitting the adversity something good is going to come out of it. Lord perhaps it's going to draw us nearer to you. Perhaps it's going to get our attention strengthen us and refine us. Well, Lord one of the greatest blessings that you can provide through our adversity is to make us a blessing for somebody else. Lord, help us to make a difference. Help us to be thankful, even for the bad times. Lord, so many people wander around in the midst of their struggles, and they have no one to turn to. They don't have a relationship with you because they have not placed their faith in Jesus. So their prayers go no higher than this ceiling. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that there is one here today who has never given their lives to the Lord Jesus so that they can have a relationship with you. So they can have somebody to turn to, Lord, in their adversity. Lord, we pray that today would be their day and they would come to you by faith in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's all stand and let's sing. I surrender all. Let's stand. Let's (coughs) sing.